Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Murata Tesh of The Athletic about how things are going for the Winnipeg Jets right now and possible thoughts on what they might do at the trade deadline. And then, Valor FC head coach Phil DeSantos joins us to talk about the schedule for the upcoming season. They start with seven straight games on the road. Also, big roster changes as well. It's all coming up on the podcast. Jets off today. They are back to practice tomorrow before they take on the Leafs in their final game before the All-Star break. And so to talk about all things Jets, we're joined by Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Murat, let's just start with last night's game. They don't score. They don't win. Defensively, it looks good. So are you more net positive or negative after last night's game on the team? You know, I, my biggest takeaway is just how unfortunate it is that Josh Morrissey was hurt adding to Mark Shifley and Gabriel Velarde on the sidelines. I think that's going to be something to, to watch, looking for updates formally and officially tomorrow. Uh, but in terms of just how the Jets are playing, I think what's on a lot of fans' minds right now is, hey, last year, Winnipeg was great until roughly the end of January and then slid. And now Winnipeg has lost a couple of games recently. Is this that? Is this that problem all over again? And I think that coming out of that game in Boston where Winnipeg streaks ended, it gave up goals, it gave, you know, that that good, that streak of three goals or less allowed is over. I thought it was so important that Winnipeg pushed back against Toronto, carried the flow of play. No, um, they didn't get the win, but I think that the pushback towards a, a quality style of play is the most encouraging thing. Now they have just nine goals in their last six games, four of them coming in the game against the Islanders. They've been shut out twice. They've had a couple 2-1 wins over not great teams where they had to pull it out late in the Senators and, and Blackhawks. How much of that is Shifley and Velarde are out? How much of that is emblematic of maybe a deeper problem with this team's offensive abilities? I think there are two things happening. One is definitely Shifley and Velarde being out. Cal Connor not quite heating up yet after coming back from an injury of his own. I mean, these are some star players that Winnipeg is missing. You could put uh, Shifley between Connor and Velarde and have a first line right there. And I know Connor's playing, but he hasn't quite uh, established that goal scoring streak that he had earlier on in the year. Um, take Josh Morrissey out just for this latest game. And that, that hurts. That definitely does. And I think that sometimes just how much Mark Shifley does to drive the offense does get missed uh, in you know, so many of the other storylines that go on. Um, I go back to Rick Bonus being brought in to coach the Jets at all. And the mission at that time was cut down at the goals against. The Jets were giving up too much quality. Five-on-five defense was a problem. And Winnipeg cut back the goals against in a big way last year, cut them back in a big way uh, this year, even compared to that. They're, uh, you know, in terms of goals against per games played, they're NHL leaders. The quiet thing that's happened in and amongst all of that is that their goals for is actually improved too. So overall, this team scores more goals than it used to do. Uh, if you go strictly at five on five, it's even among the leaders in terms of goals scored per minute. The problem, though, has got to be that power play. And that power play has struggled most of this year for a swath of last season as well. Uh, so I think they have the personnel. The five on five play is good, but the power play is certainly struggling. And of course, they miss their injured guys. Yeah, the concern is if the five-on-five play regresses and the power play does not improve, then where are the goals going to come from? I know Rick Bonus has said they're they're waiting to see what Connor Shifley and Velarde look like on the top power play unit because since game one and two of the season, 
they haven't had all three of them healthy at the same time. Uh, and then, you know, Anaheim, uh, that was before Velarde had really worked his way back when Con- Connor got hurt. How much of it, though, is just waiting for those three? Or is, there, is it something deeper than that? Well, it's interesting because you look at the, the preseason when Velarde was a brand new shiny toy in the Winnipeg Jets lineup and everybody was excited. I think a lot of folks will remember that one brilliant spinning backhand pass. It looked like a no-look pass, but Gabriel Velarde has eyes on the backhand sides of his head, it seems, and he picks Kyle Connor off perfectly for a one-time goal into a virtually empty net. And I think that a lot of Jets fans were salivating at that moment, and so were the coaching staff. Um, they've been really excited to get those guys back together, and obviously Mark Shifley being a key cog in that as well. So I, I understand this notion, and I believe the Jets organization feels this too, of we can't wait for these guys to get back together. We will know what we have when, when they're all playing, on, especially on the same power play unit. At the same time, though, when the team is so good at so many other things, and it's been almost a year of power play struggles, you have to think that coaching plays into it a little bit as well. I know Brad Lauer has tried a few different things, encouraging motion and movement and interplay with that group. Uh, I just don't think they've found it yet. And I think that their um, their struggles must have at least something to do with the, the X's and O's behind it as well. I was just looking up last year versus this year. January, they were 9-6 and six last year. They're 8-2-1 and one this season with just one more game to go in January. It was February where they went 3-5-1, and 7-7-1 seven, seven, in March, and then 4-2 and two to close out April. So uh, I don't think we're at the stage of, oh God, it's happening again. I don't think it's close to that personally. And I think this team just look at all the numbers. They suggest that this team is definitely better than last year's team. But I also think Brad, it's fair for fans to be a little hesitant because they've been burned in the past. And when you're a fan of a team, I think it's only natural to when a losses, a couple losses happen, you're like, Oh no, you, you kind of lose the, the optimism a bit. I'm speaking from someone who is a fan of teams like the Minnesota Vikings who often break my heart. Yes, heartbreak lasts, right? It's it's why every poker player remembers their bad beats and not uh, not necessarily all their wins. They they hurt, they sting. Um, that's that's pain. Why every fan remembers the the time that their team gave up a gave up a lead, and I'm sure there's a lot of misery in Toronto in the playoffs and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, the emotional memory is strong. I guess is my my point. And I I go back to last year because among those two January losses were back-to-back losses in Montreal and Toronto on a road trip roughly this time last year. And it was the first sign by I. I was on that trip. I was covering that trip. And my game story out of Toronto wrote that Winnipeg is tied for first in the Western Conference, but it's approaching a tipping point. It was clear to see that the quality of play had slipped. And for me, when I go back and I compare my notes to what I was seeing at that time and what we're seeing this time where that five-on-five structure is still excellent, even when they don't score, even when they make mistakes, and they have made more mistakes in the last week or so than I think leading up to it, I think there are so many more systemic and structural things that Winnipeg does right this year. And that's why, also, coming out of that Boston game, going back into that Toronto game last night, it was so important to me that the Jets could control the flow of play. And they did that. Yes, they had to kill a lot of penalties and all of that as well. But I really think they have their five-on-five game dialed in. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think the break is coming at a perfect time. And that second 
half or that stretch run drive after that break is going to be a real key one for the Jets. I think when comparing this year to last year as well, you look at those two losses, which were both 4-1. They come home after losing in Nashville. They get just, it's a 3-2 final, but Buffalo dominated them on January 26th of last year. Then they just lay an egg against the Flyers in a 4-0 loss. Those were the first, those are the kind of games we're not seeing from the team this year. They're not getting just dominated on the ice. In Boston, Monday night was as close to that as we've seen from this team in months, and it was still 2-1 for much of the game. So I think if there's an encouraging thing here, it's that this team just doesn't get blown out. They, they've won so many games that have been close, and I don't think it's unsustainable. I think it is sustainable the way they're playing, and I think it has to be encouraging that even when this team is losing or tied, they just don't go away. They don't go away. Absolutely. And I think it's hallmark is defense and the idea of protecting the area of the ice, obviously in front of the net, but between the faceoff dots, the jets refer to it as the guts of the ice. And I'm okay. A lot of teams do that, but the way that they play their zone, their zone defense, there are always three players roughly uh, in, in the triangle formed between the top of the circles and the front of the net. They make their switch offs effectively. Um, Switch-offs not in a man-to-man component, but switch-offs in terms of who or who is responsible for which zone or, or which threat at, at, an each, at any given moment. And even against Boston, I think getting beat against Boston and the way that that happened, the Jets were slow. They made bad breakout passes. They were a step behind. Boston gave them more pressure than they, than they, they, than they could deal with. Pardon me. But when a lot of those moments of turnovers happened, and I think the Jets really do need a break to get that quickness back up, when those turnovers happened, largely there were three guys protecting the middle of the ice. And this is just such a structural improvement over past editions of the Jets on defense where uh, they didn't have that dialed in yet, where you can give the puck away. And if everybody's in the right spot and the guts of the ice are protected, you've got a fighting chance to keep that from turning into a grade A scoring chance. I think Winnipeg's among the best teams in the NHL at doing that this year. So the NHL trade deadline is still quite a ways away. It's March 8th, so it's a long time, and I'm sure you'll have several articles on The Athletic between now and then about what could happen from the Jets. But just off the top here, looking at what the Jets could do, what do you think are the biggest areas that they could look to bolster going into that deadline? Well, I think some of these injuries are showing how badly Winnipeg could use an additional center on their second line. Um, when everybody's healthy, Mark Scheifele's line is the go-to. They get the tough matchups. They get the big minutes. They're first off the ice in prime offensive situations, or first on the ice, pardon me, and they produce. It's a great line to, to have coming off the bench like that. Rick Bonus's next priority in the order is Adam Lowry's line, the checking line and their ability to shut down other teams' best players. But what ends up happening a lot of times is that secondary scoring line, and it's at times had Nikolai Ehlers on it or Cole Perfetti or Vladislav Nemesnikov, depending on who's healthy and who's going. Um, there have been a lot of players in that, in that group. Whatever that structure of that line is, it gets lost a little bit, and it, uh, it doesn't get as many minutes. It's usually the third line in terms of minutes by the end of the night. And I think that Winnipeg would do so well to upgrade at second line center 
improve face-off ability, make sure that player is big, strong, and skilled enough to play with these skilled players that he would get as his line mates. Um, and ideally what that does, kind of like what Paul Stastny did in 2018, is give Winnipeg a second line that it can trust against anybody, isn't going to get burnt in the playoffs, and then its skilled players can go to work. And if you have three lines of that quality that the coach trusts, I think you're in the you know on the way to being a playoff wagon. And there's a track record of Kevin Cheveldayoff doing that with the Stasny edition in 2018. Didn't work quite as well in 2019 with Kevin Hayes. I don't think he was a great fit with Paul Maurice for whatever reason. And then since then, the Jets just haven't been as competitive going towards the deadline. Last year was Nita Ryder and Nemestikov, and they have been great in terms of their roles on this team. But in terms of a dynamic second line center, I get, I see Elias Lindholm's name out there. Someone like Sean Monahan. I think the issue maybe Murad is that the jets are going to be, they're going to be bidding against a lot of good teams for these players. Right. I think so. I think that the Boston and Colorado's of the world are going to go shopping at the deadline. You know, I've heard the insiders speak of late is that a lot of teams are in assessment mode right now. And I think that applies to the Winnipeg Jets as well. They just had their pro scouting meetings in Florida. I think it was last week. And uh, at this stage, they're waiting for guys to get healthy. They're waiting to see, quote unquote, what they have uh, before making sure that they they've assessed their their goals, I suppose, at the at the deadline itself. Um, and so that does make players like Elias Lindholm, who's probably the star on the market center wise, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, the sort of player that's going to get into a bidding war um, um, amongst teams. And that might be a little bit less likely. But I know the Jets have liked Sean Monaghan for a while as well, the 29-year-old big center from, or who plays in Montreal. Uh, he sort of revived his career after really falling off the face of the earth with some, some substantial injuries over the last few seasons. He's been an effective middle six center in Montreal this year. That's the type of aisle I could see Winnipeg shopping in if it is a rental. Um, and it's a situation, I think, where Winnipeg has been so good at finding fit Yes, you can find misses if you go, like Cody Eakin wasn't a world beater in Winnipeg. Zach Sanford wasn't a world beater in Winnipeg. But so many of the players that they picked up have been an ideal fit for the role that they've been asked to play uh, that I think that Winnipeg can approach the trade deadline with optimism that they've done their homework or they will have done their homework in adding the right one of these players. It'll be exciting to keep track of for sure. Murat, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. And we'll uh, check in again soon, I'm sure. Thanks for having me. Ron Atesh of The Athletic. Turn our attention to soccer now as Valor FC continues to gear up for the 2024 season, making signings uh, quite often today. In fact, they made one, uh, bringing in a a Greek-German defender as we're joined by Phil DeSantos, the head coach of Valor FC. And uh, Phil, I'll start with this. The schedule was released earlier this week. Seven straight games on the road to start. Have you ever had that long of a road trip? Not even to start a season, but like at any point of a season. Christian, uh, good night. Um, Yeah, look, it's the first for me. It's a first. I... Uh, I see it in, in in two ways. We could we could come out out of those seven games and 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 look at it and say it was it was good to spend that time on the road or 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 come out of it and you know recognize the challenges that that it could bring. And uh, right now we want to think about it in a in a positive way. We we see we see the positives of it. We feel that it's a, it's also an opportunity to have what's going to be a 
uh, a fresh core, a new core, spend more time together. Um, we'll be out on that first week, probably staying in, in BC for a few days. So, um, yeah, that's how we want to see it. We want to pro- approach it in a positive way. The reason for that, for those who don't know, is that the turf is being changed at what is now Princess Auto Stadium. And so your home opener is not until the start of June. Uh, do you know about the new turf and, and how different it's going to be to play on? It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I we, we get a bit of information. Of course, we're not um, we're not specialists, and when it comes to to understanding all the technology that goes behind it, uh, but we know it's going to be a, a good field to play in. We've played in in many of the new turfs uh, that have been placed in the league, and I think that every time there's there's a, 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 a new one. It's 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 a new generation. It's it's a better one. So we're looking forward to it. We know that there's going to be a good cushion to it. The 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 turf uh, the turf we were playing in was already it had quite a quite a bit of years on it. So it it just it just accelerates the ball. Yes, but it becomes a bit more bouncy and harder on the body. So. Uh, we we feel that it was a, a necessary change, and and we're looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good for the team. It's going to be good for the opposition coming in, um, also because they'll get to to play their game without having to consider um, such a such an impact that that a bad turf could bring. But I think that uh, at the end, it's going to be good for the show and for the players. So that's the most important. So the roster is going to look a lot different this year. We had you last on uh, just about halfway through December. A few days later, the news came out that a lot of players from last year's team were not going to be back. Uh, Diego Gutierrez, Mateo de Brienne, uh, Andy Baccaro, Andrew Jean-Baptiste, among others. Uh, let's start with uh, Andrew Jean-Baptiste, who in 2020, before you got here, looked like he was going to be the MVP and then suffered a knee injury that ended his season and, yeah. and kind of set off this unfortunate run of injuries for him. Is this just a matter of it's a guy that's hurt too much or is there, is there from your perspective, you're just trying to change things all through the lineup because this is a team that's never made the playoffs and something's got to change. No, I think that AJB in a, in a healthy manner would is, is an asset for every, every roster. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to speculate here and, and, and think that, you, if it wasn't for the injuries, he would have been up there with the best defenders in the league because this is this is unknown. It's it, but but at the end of the day, we know the potential that the player had. Now it's a league that we deal with a salary cap, we deal with uh, limited roster spots, and a lot of decisions we need to make uh, gauging on on probabilities. We need to go with recent records um, a lot of it is about what the player has done lately and these decisions are never easy and never taken lightly I think that we we didn't just come out of nowhere and 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 make the call I think it's something that is discussed we spoke with the player as well um, and and the player recognizes that there were challenges for him and it, it's every year for a for a professional athlete it's one more year in the body 
and it just gets more and more difficult to recover for some 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 uh, from some knocks and, and bruises and uh, minor or major injuries. So everything was on the table, and I think that we made the decision that was best for the club, and it's a, it's an important year for us. So it was it was uh, one of of those that is difficult but needed to be made. And then other players, Walter Ponce, Guillaume Pianelli, uh, Claudio Sela, they're all gone as well. And and so now you begin the process yeah. of of building a new team almost, right? You, how many people are coming back for sure from last year's squad? Yeah, look, we we, we kept the players that were, were, in our view, the most reliable and performant throughout the season, players that we felt... Um, had had shown up um, every game. I think that's the the reliability that we need to have in a CPL roster, and we uh, we had to make decisions that weren't easy. But at the end of the day, let's not let's not you know sugarcoat things. The team is a team that struggles in many it struggled in many many areas. Uh, we we lack the ability to score goals. We made mistakes in, 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 in moments that we needed to, to be a little bit better. And, you know, as, as, as a staff, we need to make decisions and we need to assess the player in its all and, and look at the sum of the parts. And, and we, we feel today that these were difficult decisions, but necessary decisions. So since we've last had Jan, you've brought in a, an Australian defender, Tass Wurdakotis, uh, I may have mispronounced uh, his name. Uh, oh, Austral- you got, you, yeah, you got it. Okay. Uh, we Another Australian forward, uh, Jordi Swibel. And then today, yeah. the news of uh, Harris Chansopoulos, Chansopoulos yeah. is coming yeah. in. So you're going international for a lot of these signings. Is that by, is that by design? Uh, no. Right now, we are at five international players. And three of them have already played in the league, so I think that we've actually been safe when it comes to to the international spots. I think that you look at Tas. Tas was uh, steady um, and 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 consistent defender in the league with York. Roberto Alarcon was for me what what can be one of the best right backs in in the CPL, and he was he was with Calgary suffered a an, an injury that kept him away from six week, for six weeks last year um, but is back healthy so I think these are are players that have competed in the league the other international is Keon Williams with, with, which was under contract with us and uh, the the two players that we feel are 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 that are new to the league is is Harris but Harris played in um, in North America with uh, with Sacramento with in the USL championship, he's a player that we've been looking for at him for months and uh, very well referred by, by people that have worked close with me and that have uh, worked with me in other clubs. So um, we were very confident on the signing of a, a player like Harris. Uh, he's, he's 29. He brings maturity. It's a league that has a lot of young players and those young players need to be uh, to be surrounded by 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 players that have have been around and and, and played uh, a fair share of games. He has unique qualities. He's a defender that for for someone who's six six three is very good on the ball. 
Um, he's, he has he has he has quite a few goals in his in his books for for a central defender, uh, either on set plays or 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 uh, in um, in attacking set plays. So so we like the addition of of a player like Harris and. And then uh, we look at the the Australian market as being a market that has come into the CPL and done done fairly well. It's uh, it's a market that is intriguing because the adaptation of players is very uh, very easy. Players have come into the league either in York uh, Cavalry or 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 even in Valor. They've they've settled in very well. And uh, in the case of uh, a Jordy Swibble, Jordy. Uh, Jordy scored 18 goals last season. Um, in any league, you still have to do it. He's a player that uh, has A-league experience, which is the first tier of the Australian football. So um, we we know what we're going to get from him. So we're 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 anticipating a, a guy that's going to work very hard, that is committed to the team first and foremost, and he's a, he's a player that doesn't need much to, to capitalize. So I think that's something that we lacked last year, and with the addition of Sean Ondal, now Jordy, and, and some other players, we, we feel that we, we, have, we have everything to, to, be, to be better and more clinical in, in, in the final third. Phil, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and best of luck as you continue to get ready for the season. Thank you very much, Christian. All the best. You as well. That is Phil DeSantos. He is the head coach and general manager of Valor FC. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all that they should. So sad that they should come to this. Try to warn you of the world.